Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of Textile Talk podcast. I'm Gail Cowley and I'll be your host today. Joining me is Misty Ann Guzman, who owns the Stray Bobbin Fabric Store, is a designer maker and tutors textiles and quilting courses for School of Stitch Textiles. Just to give you a little bit of background on Misty Ann, she has been quilting since she was 25 years old and found herself craving some more colour in her life. That led her to walk into a fabric store and she's never looked back since. Misty Ann is mostly self-taught and she not only creates quilts just for the joy of it, the smaller the pieces are, the better she likes them, but also for competitions and she's had her quilts travel all over the world. One of her quilts was recently used to make up a calendar for clients of hers. She has completed a Skill Stage 4 programme with School of Stitch Textiles in patchwork and quilting and has gone on to tutor for them for the last couple of years. She has owned her own online quilt store specialising in batiks, taught many classes and is an avid hand quilter. Besides quilting, she is a costume mistress and creates professional ballet costumes. She also crochets and embroiders in her spare time. Um, thank you so much for being with me today, Ms. Diane. Um, it's great to have you here on the Textile Talk podcast. And um, I think the first thing that I'd like to do, if I could, is start off by asking you just to give us an introduction to the techniques and materials that you prefer to use in your quilting. When I first started, I would do anything that I had, which is whatever was accessible. And then as I progressed through my quilting career, I fell in love with batiks. And that is my one true love because it doesn't shed all over you and you don't look like you're wearing threads the rest of the day. And it holds its shape. And there's a lot of people that have bad things to say about batiks. They say it's too hard or I don't know why they would say that. I'm a hand quilter, so I can hand quilt through batiks just fine. So I love batiks. But now as I've progressed into more textiles, it's anything that has bling. I love <laughs> sparkle, I love shimmer. Anything that I could put a little bit more lace and gems on, I'm happy. Wonderful. Uh, I believe that you do tutus, some ballet costumes. Um, they must be wonderful for bling. Oh my goodness, they are so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> it all started a couple years ago. My daughter's a ballerina and her academy at that time needed some tutus redone, refurbished. So they gave me 22 tutus. Oh, and 22. I, 22. <gasps> so this is, this is how it all began. So I took them all the way down. Literally, I cut everything off and I just had the base left. So I cut all the tool off, all the bling off, everything. And then I rebuilt them from there. And that's how I taught myself how to make them. And then I had fun embellishing, and that's when the love of bling set in. And then I looked at my quilts and thought, they look boring. And so <laughs> it's kind of jump ship from there. So it's quite a niche area, isn't it, tutus? That is quite niche. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's difficult because it takes 
at least 80 hours to make a tutu. Wow, I had no idea it was so long. Yeah, it's it's quite a while and then it can take longer or shorter depending, of course, but if you have the student, it's a lot easier than if you were trying to just do it for measurements. But I've gotten mm. down now where I'm, I'm faster than the 80. Mm. Do you have to have a few fittings within that? or Ideally, it would be good to have a few fittings, but the, actually, I've only ever fit two students. Everything else has been a small, generalized size, medium, large, extra large, and then you just add a whole bunch of hooks. Right. And so they can make it tighter, tighter or looser as it goes, so it'll fit a variety of students every year. Mm. And, and are, they, are they usually all the same? I mean, when you say 22, is it 22 that are all exactly the same? No, or? no, no, no. They are incredibly different. So you, if you think black swan, and then you think nutcracker, sugar plum fairy, and then you think jasmine, Arabian nights, and then you think mm. gobelia and dolls. And so, yeah, they're all over the place. Wonderful. Uh, that sounds fascinating. Uh, and you teach for the School of Stitch Textiles, but yes. you teach the uh, the patchwork and quilting. So how do you find the two sort of fit together? Well, I obviously was teaching before I became a mentor at the school, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I had owned my own store. And then from there, when I would go to, I don't know what you call them here, but we would call them markets in the States, and you would have your booth. And then they asked me to start teaching at those Mm -hmm. weekends. And so then I was able to analyze my students' work. And then they would start emailing me and asking, is this okay? Or I'm stuck here. And so I felt like I was already mentoring students before I even came to work. Yeah. So, and because I was a student with your school, I actually knew how the whole module thing worked, which has been a total blessing because a lot of my students struggled in the same areas I did. Mm, And so I can understand like, yeah, I was irritated by this too, but (laughs) there's actually a reason for it and I'm seeing it afterwards. So Mm. I was able to help them through, yeah, you you may not like this part or you don't see the reason for this part, but it all makes sense at the end. Yeah, it's it's really interesting actually to hear you say that because – when I actually set up the school, I mean, a long time ago now, um, <laughs> 20-some years ago, um, but I had done my uh, sitting girls, my uh, diploma as it was then, with Opus in London. They're not going anymore, unfortunately. Julia Caprera passed away some time ago. But I, I remember clearly just getting one sheet of inst- written instructions and thinking, where do I go with this? <laughs> and when I had students of my own that wanted to um, to study at a distance, I realised at that point it just makes it it's so much easier if you've been there as a mm-hmm. as a student, and then you know, you, as you say, you know all of the the pinch points, the bits that are hard to work out, and uh, exactly. I mean, often they're different for everyone, aren't they? They'll be different for different students, but I think the insight helps. Yes, and and. There is a variety of students, but they all seem to dislike the certain areas. And then at the end, they go, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll grudgingly let you have that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it can be a bit of a challenge, I know. I know originally from Oregon, aren't you? Yes. But you've traveled very widely. 
all over really yeah i'm getting there i'm working at it <laughs> <laughs> have you been everywhere have you do you still have places you want to tick off your to-do list um it's actually whittling down so <laughs> the, there's some places i'd love to revisit there's some places that i only saw one town in the whole entire country and i'd love to see more but before we get sent home back to the states we are going to go to geneva and france so those are wonderful so switzerland and france so we're going to get those in before we leave and the cost of a ticket is three <laughs> times more expensive so. so do you do you have a favorite edinburgh really yep <laughs> i've been all over the world and there is no other city like edinburgh what's so special about it what what attracts you to it so much the it's got to be the stonework the old houses the little teeny tiny alleyways the just the off-centeredness of it and that you could just walk out your door and you're there mm. but yet you can also just turn a left and then you're at dean's village which is this beautiful river and quaint little place just right in the middle of edinburgh it's mm -hmm. it's not right in the middle but it's close but it's got nature right there and of course you you lived there for a while didn't you i did we lived there for a year so that must have been that must have been really wonderful to live somewhere that you enjoy so much we loved the city and hated our apartment so it was a oh, mix really <laughs> <laughs> it was a mix but no it's there's just nothing like walking up out of the train station and there's the castle right there mm. you're like ah welcome back to edinburgh so and so what, what were the, um, what were the opportunities for, um, fabric shopping like? Not. No. <laughs> oh dear. There was, there is, um, one very, very expensive store downtown. And then there was one that was fairly decent next to where we lived in, um, Edinburgh, but because I had moved off a little bit from quilting and was expanding into more into the ballet more and more mm -hmm. i had to find things online so but here in england we moved to alfreton and there is an amazing store in chesterfield and it's got fabric for quilts and fabric for tutus all in one place it's very dangerous <laughs> yeah i can imagine all that fabric all together under one roof yes <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, just going back to the sort of the travel theme, I know that you spent um, time teaching English in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, Japan is, I mean, full, full sort of disclosure is the one place I really would want to go to and haven't. I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about what, you know, about your feelings about it and what you did there. Well, I lived in Osaka. So that's the second biggest city in Japan. And it is near Kyoto, which is the, I don't know if it's the original, uh, there, there's been so many where the, the emperor lived, but he lived for a while in Kyoto. But Kyoto has tons of temples and nature and deer that will go up and nudge you. And it's an awesome place. But we lived in Osaka, which was right next door. And it was a big city <laughs> and there wasn't much color. And after about three months, I was becoming color starved, deprived, um, mm. wanting something in my life that had color. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I lived there for two different years. So the first year I was, at, 
a high school exchange student. But the second year that I went back, I actually taught in the high schools. So the first time I went, I learned all of the Japanese slang and bad words so that when I went back to teach, <laughs> I knew exactly what the students were saying. It was great. <laughs> but I was living on my own. And so I actually just walked into a store and found fabric. And that's where I started quilting was just strictly for, I wanted color. So is the fabric different there? I mean, is it is it traditional patchwork fabric or is it something more exotic? Well, I was there 30 years ago. So I don't know what there is now. And I know that quilting is a huge thing over there now, especially with hand quilting. Mm -hmm. But back then I didn't know anybody there that really did any handwork. They made handmade kimonos, but they, they didn't do quilts. So the fabric I found, I thought was 1930s old and boring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, they were like not even a fat quarter in size. But it was, an, it was an outlet because I had always done something artistic in my life up to that point, And I was just craving a release. So mom had quilted. So I, I kind of knew the basics of I cut out my templates with scissors and I knew how to do needle and thread. And I just probably why I love hand quilting so much because that's just how I started. So what sort of quilting were you doing, Bam? Were you, were you doing sort of uh, small pieces, cushions, or, or what kind of thing were you producing? The first thing I made was a panda bear pillow. I just designed a panda bear out of squares and triangles and made it a pillow. And then the second thing I made was a, a double-sized, um, I guess more Amish style. It was just squares, but it was basically black with bright colors, solids. That was the second thing I made. And then it just kind of has gone from there. I've made probably over 500 quilts since then. Wow. What so, do you, so what do you do with them all? Do you keep them? Are they for sale? No, do you give them away? Or I've, I don't have that many. I, I sell them. I put them in shows and mostly I give them away. I keep on teasing my kids because they're going to end up with all the ones that are just used and the horrible and all the really fancy ones nobody will know about because they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> but you photograph them hopefully before yes, you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, that's a, a, a very diverse background, isn't it? Sort of from the States to Japan to have all of the different influences. And um, how do you find that that quilting in general differs, you know, sort of the UK to the US? I always think of the United States as the home of quilting. Um, and whenever I've been, the stores have just been amazing compared with what we have here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the biggest shock. <laughs> was that the I had like I said I had stated before I had an online quilt store and I didn't have that much fabric but when I walked in the quilt stores here I actually had more in my personal stash from that store than you guys sell in a store <laughs> so I was like okay where's the rest of the store this can't be just this is it <laughs> so that was a shock and then to be told that people didn't like batiks I was like oh crushed bone <laughs> How could you not like batiks? Because that's all I sold was batiks. And so I still have several bolts of batiks, which has been my lifesaver since I've been here, since I can't find them here. And the other thing is that the you guys don't seem to have much of a variety. You mm -hmm. go from one store to the next, and they all kind of look similar. Mm. They all tend to be quite what I'm going to call ditzy prints. Is that what? Yeah, I was going to say French poodle, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they, they do tend to be, I suppose, is it to do with the size of the 
of the repeat so that they fit easily, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But there's so much more out there. So, yeah, that was that was a little disappointing. And yeah. Also to find out that quilting isn't as big over here. I thought for sure I'd be doing a lot more quilting since I've been here. And actually my ballet stuff has taken over since I've been here because quilting just hasn't been in as much demand. So when when you say that, do you mean that there aren't as many people wanting to buy the finished quilts or there aren't as many people actually doing quilting as a hobby? Yes, to both. Oh, okay. And I wonder why that is. I, I don't know. Is. I don't know. And I've, I've had several requests to teach hand quilting. And so we set up the class and then no one signs up for it. So it's not, hand quilting for sure is not very big over here. That, it's interesting actually, because we've, uh, we've just had an enrollment here and we've actually this time taken a lot more patchwork and quilting. Um, on this enrollment than anything else, which is slightly Good. unusual. So I wonder if there's being perhaps a little bit of a turnaround Maybe. Um, in that. So hopefully, because it is a wonderful pastime. It is. And I, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent hand quilting watching my girls do ballet or gymnastics or whatever, just because I can just take it with me anywhere. It's so much easier. It's just a case of being organized before, isn't it? Because you have to have all, everything cut out and organized for you to actually take. I suppose, but I'm a little OCD, so that doesn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know that you've obviously talked about your own business, um, which is the Stray Barbin, isn't it? Correct. Um, and is that still the name that you use for the yes. dance commissions as well? Yeah. So are you still running that? or? Yep, I still am. And it is, it is going like crazy on the ballet bodice side, the ballet costume side, mm -hmm. um, the the quilting side, not so much. But I assume after I move back to the states, it will probably pick back up. Uh, yes, I, I suppose it 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 just sounds really strange to me because I'm mainly dealing with people that do the craft rather than um and I know nothing at all about ballet absolutely nothing <laughs> so are there, are there sort of amateur productions that you're making for I mean you know where are they all going these um these dance costumes they either go to ballet academies for their school for their in recitals so you mm -hmm. have the nutcracker season is what I call it which is um December. So you have everybody who does their annual December show, uh, usually the Nutcracker. And then you have competition season, which is January, February. Mm -hmm. And then some people do a show in March. And then there's another show in June. So those are kind of the, the ups and ebbs. So right now, I've, I've just recently sold a whole bunch and now we're slow again. And then it'll pick up again for the, you know, the next Right. So I had no idea it was so seasonal. It's very seasonal, yes. Do you go and see the productions after, you know, where where your your costumes are being worn? Well, 90% of the ones I've sold since I've moved here have been in the States. So it's been kind of expensive to go see them. <laughs> I did make some for um, my daughter graduated from Edinburgh Festival Ballet. And mm -hmm. so we made some romantic tutus for them and some... Uh. Um, platter practice tutus 
So I have seen those in person. But for the mm. most part, no, I don't see them. There's been some in Sweden, Denmark, the States. There's been Gosh. some here. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of all so they're, they're all over. So do you FedEx them wherever they're going? or? Oh, don't get me started on the whole <laughs> packing, shipping scenario that happened with the mm. Royal Mail. <gasps> the Royal Mail. That are stuck. They've been stuck since January 9th and they're still at the local hub. So I've had to make another set to get them in time so they can get it to their show. Oh no. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had problems with students um, abroad getting their certificates mm -hmm. uh, because obviously we had Royal Mail strikes before Christmas. Right. And then since we've had, I think it's some sort of cyber attack on Royal Mail. Correct. Uh, so, Unfortunately, um, we'd sent out to two students, one in Oman and one in Denmark, the day that the actual hub yeah. went down. Exactly, that's what I think the bodices in their stuff. One has arrived, even though it's saying it hasn't left this country. <laughs> um, and um, when you use the tracking device, it's saying, yeah, no, it hasn't left. Right. But obviously it has because we know it's in Denmark. Right. Um, the other one uh, just hasn't has not arrived, and this is now the third one that we've had to, the third certificate we've had to send out to this poor student who was waiting so i i feel your pain but it's nowhere near the um the representation of work that you must have when dance costumes go missing yeah no it's it's a it's rather on the expensive side yeah i can imagine yeah i've been shipping them with i think it's every mm -hmm. recently and it still took longer than they said but at least it got there Yes, um, I, I've got a, a, a friend actually that um, sells, I'm going to call them children's uh, fancy dress costumes, I suppose, you know, characters and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So she imports the actual um, fancy dress and then sells it and then obviously has to pack out. And she's right. just changed to every because she says that, you know, Royal Mail has just been a, a nightmare. Yeah. So um, it can only, hopefully it can only get better. That's right. <laughs> just in time for me to leave the country. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but fingers crossed. Obviously, um, we touched beforehand on you being a, a past graduate of ours. Um, I'd be really interested to know how you found the change from being a student to being a tutor. It's actually quite easy because I had already been tutoring basically beforehand mm -hmm. through my uh, my own company, so not company store. But it was it just took a little bit of you know how do you phrase things, things like that that took a little bit of practice. But it's actually quite easy to say that looks great, and you can even if I don't agree with the colors or like the colors, because my taste of colors are different than the next person's, I can see where they're going with it. And, and that's always fun. I'm always excited to see what the next thing they create is. So it's actually kind of easy to get transferred over. It's, um, it, it's quite a, a responsibility, I suppose, isn't it? Because obviously you're looking at things before people make them, before students mm -hmm. make them. And as tutors, we'd all hoped to catch if there were, were any potential pitfalls. 
But as you say, not everything, of course, would necessarily be to our taste. It wouldn't necessarily be our our colour scheme or Mm -hmm. or to our final taste. So it can be quite a difficult line to walk, I think. It is, because sometimes I'll look at that and go, oh, my goodness. And then I'll go, Karis, come here, because she has a different colour. I'm like, what do you think of this? (laughs) Sometimes it's kind of nice to get a different opinion. But for the most part, just because I've been in the industry now for so long, it's easier for me to step back and, and, and look at the work, not necessarily the color or mm-hmm. look out, look at the precision and not necessarily the layout. If that makes any sense, I can kind of take it apart. It's kind of like what a judge would do at a show, right? They don't necessarily have to like the quilt, but they can appreciate the work that's been done on the quilt. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you go to quilt shows? I do. I do. And, um, I actually have a funny story about one. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I entered a quilt show in hand applique and I got told I won second prize and I was all excited and I showed up and they had moved it to the machine applique category because they didn't believe me. So I won second place in the machine category as a <laughs> well that that says an awful lot about your hand stitching <laughs> so i was like oh gee thanks um are, are they making sure that i'm a machine i'm not sure how i should take that but yes. I, I think it's a compliment if your hand <laughs> stitching is a mistaken for machine <laughs> i think we'd all like like that wouldn't we <laughs> yeah. but most of the time i have a problem entering quilt shows because my quilts never fall into any category they always mm-hmm. cross or they're always pushing the boundaries or like so, hand quilting can only be a certain size. And I'm always asking why. So I, sometimes I don't, my quilts don't get accepted because they just don't fit. So I suppose very often people do fall into the, they either do the hand or they do the machine, but they don't often cross over a great deal, do they? Correct. Correct. And I just do whatever the piece speaks. So. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a little machine is needed. Sometimes a mixture, I suppose, is perhaps, you know, the best of both worlds, would you think? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So do you prefer to work on something that's actually a commission, you know, such as the dance pieces, or would you prefer to be working on a piece of your own? So interestingly enough, in the quilting category, I prefer it to be my own. Totally, mm-hmm. 100%. Working for other people's is harder because then you're dealing with their color and if you really hate the color you're going to be staring at it for a while or you don't agree with exactly what they're saying and you know that it's not going to last long but they're the customer Mm -hmm. so that's always hard as a ballet costume because it's always playing with bling (laughs) haven't haven't actually disliked working for that yet that that's that's still been fun we'll see what happens in a couple years but for now, most of the time, I make them and they just buy pre-made in the store. I have had commissions where they send me they send me what they want. I go buy the fabrics and the lace, take a picture, send it to them, and if they like it, I make it. So it's still mostly my choice. So I'd be really interested, um, obviously, as with for our students at, at, here at School Stitch Textiles, um, they have to go through that process, don't they, with the... Mm-hmm you know, the design and then um, actually choosing a final design, producing perhaps a few, choosing a final one, um, costing it all up. And 
That's obviously, I presume, the process you go through when you're making either a quilt or a, or a costume for somebody. Mm-hmm. How do you, can you tell me a bit about that process? I mean, how do you manage that? For a quilt or for a, a ballet costume? Ooh, either, both. Because <laughs> <laughs> the quilt is way more complicated than the ballet costume. Okay. Because the ballet costume, they say, I want the four seasons. So you go by four colors and you choose the lace that you want you take a picture you send it to them they go yep that works and then you make it for quilts choosing colors they don't have to stand up on stage they have to stand up up close Mm -hmm. so there's also size and there's how many stitchings do you want do you want machine do you want hand how close together do you want do you want it specialized do you want it general there's a, a lot more choices in quilting than mm-hmm. there are in the ballet bodice world. And do you find that generally people are, are commissioning a quilt uh, for a bed or for a, a, a piece that's going to hang on the wall? Or It's usually for a special occasion, like a baby or a wedding. Not I haven't gotten very many for walls at all. It's mostly mm. for it's going to be used, and which means I have to tell them back, okay, it's going to be washed, a baby's going to spit upon it. Mm. You can't you can't do this. It's going to be too delicate. That sort of thing, right? So, and I suppose obviously, if they're using it somewhere within their house, then it's going to have to fit into their general color Correct. scheme. Correct. Correct. Exactly. So that that must be quite a challenge to sort, especially by distance, because obviously, if you uh, we think it's challenging teaching by distance, but if you're actually trying to. Um, exchange colors and things by distance. That is difficult, isn't it? It is. And actually, I have truthfully pared down doing commissions for scratch quilts. What I love to do is repair quilts. So a lot of times I will get a quilt top that they found in the attic that grandma made and they want it finished. I totally love to do that because it's normally by hand and then I'll go research the year it was made in and I'll find the popular quilting motifs of that time and then put it into the quilt Mm -hmm. or I'll repair pieces here they sent me a Welsh quilt I had never seen a Welsh quilt before and I repaired holes in it so that they could continue to use it that I love to do way more than a scratch from start to finish quilt Mm -hmm. I like to bring the past back to life so it's usable I totally believe in washing your quilt and using your quilt not folding it up and storing it in your back of the closet which is, is what a lot of people do, isn't it? They, mm-hmm. they do fold them. So um, Welsh quilting, I'm sure a lot of the listeners won't have heard of that. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I, I don't know much. It, it, was a, it was a whole cloth and it had another border on the outside, which I had unfortunately had to cut off because the moths had eaten oh. all the way around. So there was nothing left. There's no way I could solve that. And then I had to try to save the top. So I actually ended up taking the complete back off. I Mm. believe if I remember correctly, and then putting it back together and then sewing up the little holes. That's a lot of work. It was, but it meant a lot to them. It was the family members who had passed away and they wanted to keep using it. Ah, I see. How do you work out how much to charge somebody for that? Because again, I know this is something that we... We ask our students to do, you know, to, mm-hmm. to cost work, but how do you do that? So I, I charge them obviously any materials 
that's pretty easy. For hand quilting, I pull, I know you guys use meters here, but I use yards. Mm -hmm. I pull about a yard worth of thread per pull per doing my needle. And so I will charge 25 pence or 50 pence. I used to charge 25 pence. Now I charge a little bit more per one of those threads. So I just count how many I use. Right. That way it covers if it's an easy pattern to quilt, then you get charged less. If it's more complicated, you obviously use more thread and then you get mm -hmm. charged more. Instead of doing per the square inch, because I don't think I don't like how I don't like how that's used. So in machine, I would probably do per bobbin. Mm -hmm. Because obviously again, more complicated, you're gonna use more bobbins than less complicated. And so I just set a price amount to that. And that's how I, I charge for the quilting part. As for the rest of the part, I charge whatever I decide I feel like to be charged per hour and paid. <laughs> right. Have you ever got to the point where, I mean, is that something that you have to tell someone beforehand? Because um, yes. I imagine that you could easily get to the point where someone said, I had no idea how it was going to be so much and I'm not paying that. Or I usually give them an estimate because I can kind of tell, okay, that's going to be fairly easy and it's on a baby quilt, mm, 200. You know, you, you, you've done it enough, you, can, you, you know. Mm -hmm. And then if I feel like I'm going to go over, I will let them know before I'm finished. So I'm assuming that um, you, you sort of, through a series of trial and error, you came to that as being the best way to do it. Yeah. And Actually, I stumbled upon that pretty, pretty quick on. It just made logical sense to me. And um, I suppose that there must have been occasions before that that perhaps um, you either ended up doing a lot of work you didn't get paid for or the other way around. <laughs> well, you normally do a lot of work that you don't get paid for. I don't think any artist ever pays for what their total amount in time was. Mm. If I charge how many hours it took to make a tutu, nobody would ever be able to afford it. So, <laughs> mm. so, so would you say that it's as much a pleasure as yes. it is? Yeah. So it's 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 almost a little bit of both. It's it's mm -hmm. a a business, but also it's something that you obviously get pleasure out. Otherwise, you wouldn't. Consider. Do it. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. What's next for you? I mean, I know obviously that you're making the move back to the States shortly. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, which we're really sorry to see you go. But hopefully you will still continue um, to assess for us. So, of course. Um, <laughs> we'll just feel a delay. <laughs> Time zone. But um, we have we have students all over so it's actually quite good that we also have assessors that are from a distance as well it sort of fits nicely what are you hoping to do anything different when you get back to the states or i think i'm going to continue growing the ballet side and then i'm not going to reopen my booths of the quilting but it really depends on where we go i'll probably still quilt or teach quilting if I can when I go there and I still have my own patterns I have a whole bunch of patterns that I've created that I'll probably still sell and things like that but I don't think I'm going to restart my fabric store so when, when you say markets is that a sort of what we would say a, a farmer's market almost or no no like no. your um your quilt village quilt and stitch show that was just here in just above Leeds um Mm -hmm. What was that? Harrogate? Was it Harrogate? 
Yeah, and, and Harry, yeah. I called it Harrogate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, there is a, a quilt and stitch show up there. That type of thing where all everybody has their booze, that's what I would do. In this okay, place. I see, I see. So you'll be obviously needing to book a little way ahead for those, I presume, to get the space. Correct, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to do those again. I think I'm mm -hmm. going to... I think I'm just going to go to the local quilt stores and see if they need a teacher, see if they want to buy my patterns. Mm -hmm. But I've been enjoying so much because I did the quilting for so long and I love the quilting that I can do in the ballet costumes. I've done some pretty intricate, crazy quilting ballet tutus that I feel like I can mix them so well and I get the best of both worlds quilting and playing with bling in the ballet costume world. So I think my textile love is, is leaning in that direction more and more. Mm -hmm. Plus I've picked up embroidery and I've taken some courses and I, I love the embroidery too. So I, I did gold work a little while ago. That was a lot of fun. That's a great way of getting some bling on too. Well, almost yeah, exactly. anything. <laughs> well, that's why I wanted to take the embroideries because buying embroidery is so expensive. So if I could make my own, mm. that would be great. So... And I believe you guys have embroidery too, don't you? I know we you do. have gold work. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, the gold work is actually included with the skill stage three and four hand embroidery. Um, but we also have a separate gold work course that we do as a creative classroom one for beginners. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely love gold work. It, it's strange actually because it's one of those things, and I think, I don't know if you agree with this, with, with your students, but I find that very often students come along on a course and they have preset ideas about a particular technique and it's, oh, I don't really want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, it's too traditional for me, it's this, it's that. And very often they're the techniques that actually people end up really loving. Yes. They wouldn't have done them voluntarily, but because the course has kind of pushed them into doing a little sample. And that's really how gold work was for me. I, uh, mm. I did it as part of my diploma a long time ago. And I was lucky enough to um, actually, because it was an attended course, so I was in a group with somebody that held the, um, all the gold work thread stock for the local church. Oh, nice. Um, so we were able to purchase gold, gold work threads through her, which is, she had a fabulous stock. You know, this box used to come out and it was amazing. It had all sorts in it. And um, it's one of the things, because I'm not particularly a traditional embroiderer, but it's one of the things I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've, I find that happens a lot with students that, you know, I don't think I'm going to like this, but actually they end up loving loving it. I don't know if you find that with your students. I do, and it's usually it's usually <laughs> my favorite thing. It's usually hand quilting. Oh, do mm. I have to do that? Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> You're going <laughs> to like it too. <laughs> I'm going to make you. <laughs> exactly, you will like this. <laughs> no, it, it does make a, a, a difference, I think. And um, also, you know, sometimes people do it and they they only do a little bit because they're not keen on it and and that's fine sometimes you do find out that some techniques you just hate <laughs> mm -hmm. right from the beginning but it's 
at least they're in your repertoire then you can you might not always love going back to them but you can do if you need to you've got that there as as part of your um you know what you can bring to the table if you're considering a piece exactly and i have tried i've rug hooked i've woven things i have spun i've quilted i've worked textile i've been done embroidery i've dabbled in everything just because i love learning Mm. but there's the ones that I like to do the most. And so like, even though I did gold work, it wasn't my favorite. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the embroidery with the sparkly threads way more. (laughs) (laughs) Bling, I know. But, and I mean, I, I, I weaved scarves and things like that, but I could do it. It was like a checkbox. Okay. I did that, but I enjoyed Mm. rug hooking. I thought that was a lot of fun. So it's just, if you don't know until you try, and sometimes I think the um the most innovative pieces that I've seen students produce over the years have been the ones that actually employ a few different techniques correct um so it's not just one it's a Mm -hmm. a mixture of different ones break out Uh, of the box yes yeah I'm one for a never following instructions ever so (laughs) Yeah, it's like you look at the you look at the quilt and like, oh, that would be cute. But it needs this. Don't mm. be afraid to add your own personality to things. It's it, yes, and personality and and people's style is something that I I really love seeing them develop over the the the, the length of their course. Um, because when they first start off, they're a little tentative. I think it would be fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, often, and that doesn't apply to everyone, but very often they can be um, a little bit concerned about designing their own samples or their own finished pieces. Mm-hmm. But over the course of their their course, their program, that tends to develop once they do do it and do be, become able to do it it develops into very much their own signature and it's lovely to see that happen and i also see that a lot when you you choose your your artist or a picture and then you have to develop a design from that picture Mm -hmm. that really pushes people they don't always like that but it pushes them out of the box so that they can now walk down the street and look at things and go oh i could do something with that Whereas before they would look at it and just see that it was a tree. Now you look at it and you see the oak and the gnarly little kernel, you know, curl that it does and that you could take that and use it. Mm. And I think that's, that's important too, to expand what you see. So I I always think when I say this to anyone that it sounds overly melodramatic, but (laughs) I know when I, when I first did City and Girls, they were going back quite a long way. uh, And I often hear it from my students that, they never look at things in quite the same way again. No, even even if you have a really lovely view in front of you or a sunset or uh, you're almost mentally thinking, how could I, that would make a fabulous quilt, make a lovely Mm -hmm. embroidery. How how would I manage to do that in fabric? What techniques would I use? Exactly, just opens up a whole nother tool Mm. for you to use. I think often as well, when I open somebody's work, when I'm assessing it, 
uh, it, I think it's wonderful that you can tell it's them. You don't need to look at the name on the yes. portfolio. You just know it's them because it's got their style stamped all over it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you find that with your students, but I certainly see that time and again with mine. I see it more in the level threes. I feel like the level twos are still trying to find their style. Yeah. And so they're a little bit more all over. But by the end, when they do that final piece, you can tell. Yeah, you really can, can't you? That their, mm -hmm. their personality is very much coming to the fore at that point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I, I think as well, um, I often see differences depending on where people come from. So we have a, um, a couple of students that are based um, sort of Norway, Sweden. They have a very, very different style, um, you know, quite obviously, as you'd expect, quite Nordic. Um, mm. So muted colors, quite, quite simple lines and shapes um, to the ones that, that are perhaps coming from, you know, sort of southern america or, or wherever but it, it is wonderful to see that difference um not just a, a a difference in techniques but also a geographical difference yeah you take one look at a quilt and you'll know if it's japanese or not yeah just automatically just because they use the topes you can just tell yeah that, that's a japanese quilt so yeah i totally agree i think as well that just the um the the designs the design mm -hmm. is very much influenced by um, where people come from and their cultural background. It is interesting because, of course, the artist that somebody chooses or the the design source that they choose when they're doing their developing designs of their own does make quite a difference as to what they eventually end up making themselves as finished pieces or samples. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting to see the cultural differences and the geographic dis differences as well. Exactly. I had some students that lived by the ocean and that was definitely their, their draw was the ocean. Mm -hmm. Whereas people that were more in the Midlands, they didn't even think about it. Yes. And sometimes people draw inspiration from um, sources that I wouldn't even consider. We had somebody uh, I can think of uh, a little while ago that did some absolutely amazing design work, but very much from inner city uh um, source material and she just pulled out some amazing you know, patterns of grids and from graffiti and and things that we know we're there but we don't immediately think about as being a source for design mm -hmm. that would be interesting to see yes well that that there is some um there is some great work done by the students there really is we'll be getting shortly to the point where we'll be putting up the um, the excellence exhibitions. So I would be asking you if you have any nominations soon, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as we do every year. But um, that's great to see, because it's wonderful to see the, the really standout pieces and, and design work and samples that people have completed during their course. Mm -hmm. I suppose that uh, we're probably coming towards the end of our chat. Um, do you have anything as a sort of short story or anecdote that you that we could finish off with? I guess the biggest thing I would say is don't let people tell you how you should be. I started quilting at 25 and was told I did not have enough gray hair to continue. <laughs> and how dare I 
if I don't have any gray hair. <laughs> and I've run into across that the whole time. And then I ran across, I taught my kids how to quilt at age two. They sat on my lap. Oh. They put a whole bunch of fabrics down on batting. I put netting on top and then they swooshed it underneath the machine. Mm -hmm. Made their first quilt. I believe that anybody at any age can be artistic. So have fun. That, that's it. That's a, a really great message. And it is, it is true, of course, it's often just taking the first step on that journey, wherever mm -hmm. you might be. Yeah. I'm sure you have thoughts about what I would call the quilt police as well. <laughs> <you? laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I might be OCD myself, but yeah, no, quilting is your own style. There is no correct way to do it. Just enjoy doing it. I don't care how many stitches per inch you have. If, as long as you enjoy pushing the needle in, needle out, and gives you meditation and you feel happier when you're done, you're doing a good job. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's wonderful, actually, that we're moving, or we seem to be moving more to the point now where we're looking on crafts generally as being mindful. Mm -hmm. um, so it's less about the finished article than it is about process of actually undertaking it and um, that's just just so valuable particularly in today's world where we seem to be rushing everywhere and trying to do everything brilliantly when my husband comes up and says oh, you need to go quilting you're you're stressing yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's true it's true Miss Jan, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you today. for having me. It's been wonderful to talk to you, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll really, I'm sure everyone is really going to enjoy hearing more about you. So, thank you. Well, thank you very much. Mm -hmm.